I'm really glad the mic is working because people usually tell me to speak up anyway, so you guys would have had a hard time. <laughs> so, um, good morning. Uh, today's scripture reading is from Acts 10, verses 34 to 48. If you have a Bible or a device, I invite you to turn there now while I read. Um, and while you're getting there, my name is Holly Hostetler, and my husband Phil and I and our four kids, Renee, Ryan, Olivia, and Stella, I've been coming to Cross Point for about five years. Um, let's hear God's word, Acts 10, 34 to 48. Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who are under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Holly. There are markers along the storyline of the scriptures from Genesis to the book of Acts that reveal why and how you and I are gathered together this morning. They reveal why and how the good news of Jesus ever got to us ethnically and geographically. These markers reveal that the message of life in Christ was always intended by the Lord to go to all the nations, all tribes and tongues, because our God is not a God of partiality, prejudice, or favoritism. Acts 10 is one of those significant mile markers in the scriptures. We are in the front half, we are in the front half of it last week. We finish it up today. So if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to listen or watch online to get the complete story here. But Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1-7, through then those first seven chapters describe in detail ministry happening in Jerusalem. And then Acts 8 and 9, the ministry expands to Judea and Samaria. Now in Acts 10, it's revealed to Peter and the broader church that the good news of Jesus was never intended just to remain with those from a Jewish heritage. 
but it was to go to the ends of the earth, including those from a Gentile background. Jesus is Lord over all, and so his good news is to go to all, so that all people who are created in the image and likeness of our God might have then the gracious opportunity to respond in faith and belief in Jesus, and as a result, receive eternal life the gift of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sin. So last week, earlier in chapter 10, we were introduced to Cornelius. He's a Gentile centurion in the Roman army and lives in the town of Caesarea. Verse 2 says that he was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He was generous with his money toward Jews in need. He believed that the God of Israel, the God the Jews worshipped, was the one true God. And yet, Cornelius, while being a moral man, a man of wealth, influence, had a good reputation in the community. Cornelius was not a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Cornelius was not a, a Christian yet. He was still under the penalty of his sin. His good works weren't leading to his sin being forgiven. His generosity wasn't leading to the Holy Spirit being able to be purchased. Cornelius and his whole family was in need of the gospel. And the Lord had brought Peter, the one from a Jewish background, to his home to tell his family about Jesus. The gospel transcends the earthly walls of hostility that had existed between Jew and Gentile. And here in Acts 10, we see that the gospel is going leaping across that line. So we pick it up in, in verse 34. Peter and some of the other brothers from the town of Joppa have traveled through obedience to, to the Lord, to Caesarea, to this home of Cornelius and his family. They've crossed, literally crossed the threshold of the door, stepped into a home of a Gentile, and in doing so, the Spirit is going to be at work not only in those who will hear, but the Spirit will be at work in Peter and those who will bring the message. Verse 34, 35, again, Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to him. See, the light now is going to be fully on for Peter. The gospel is to go to every nation because God doesn't show favoritism. He shows no partiality, and he has always been that God. Deuteronomy 10.17 in the Old Testament declares, For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. And in this moment, Peter is, is saying, now, now I see it firsthand, that the Lord is at work seeking and saving Gentiles. The prevailing Jewish thought at the time was that God did show partiality toward the, toward the Jews and against the Gentiles. For instance, it was common for a Jewish man to begin his day praying, thanking God that he was not a Gentile. Or it was common if a Jew married a Gentile that the Jewish community would hold a funeral for the Jew saying, you're not one of us anymore. Peter said in verse 28, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. In that verse, Peter is not implying that people are not sinners and in need of cleansing by the blood of Christ. Rather, he is saying that we should not disregard the truth that all people have been made in the image and likeness of our God. The people have been fearfully and wonderfully made by our triune God. 
and that we are not just a lump of cells, or we are not an accident. Rather, all humans, both Jew and Gentile, are born with dignity, and value, and worth, and therefore we must not withhold good news from going to anyone. Can you imagine a God who would play favorites? How wicked, how unsettling, how absolutely unpredictable that would be. But our God is altogether good, so no one is excluded from hearing and responding to the good news and placing their complete and utter faith and trust in Jesus. Our God shows no partiality, so his people must show none as well, including as we live on this disciple-making mission in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. One commentator wrote, the point is not that Cornelius earned righteousness as his due, but that his responsiveness leads God to send Peter to reveal more of God's way to him as the rest of the speech points the way to what Cornelius must do. And what must Cornelius do? It's repent and believe in, in Jesus Christ. See, Cornelius feared the one true God, yet he still needed to hear the gospel and respond to it in faith and repentance. We said this last week, but even good, moral people who are respectable or respect, respectful towards God, they need to come, humbly come to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, for He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. No one comes to the Father through our moral effort as if we are able to bribe God with our good works. Being religious outwardly is not enough to save someone from eternal judgment. Outward behavior modification is not the way to the Father. It's only through faith in the Son. And He is at, is at the heart of Peter's message here. It's the personal work of Jesus who Peter is there to proclaim to this Gentile household. Jesus is at the center. A message that then will bring peace. Verse 36 he, God, sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. So peace is found in Christ alone, for only He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one through His body and blood brings peace vertically in our relationship with our Creator God and peace horizontally among the new family of God, where now our identity is no longer in our heritage, for example, but it's in Christ. He is our peace. And Peter begins to walk through the life and ministry of Jesus, who is Lord over all. Verse 37, you know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. The ministry of Jesus was well known throughout the region among both Jew and Gentile, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. And the ministry of Jesus was one marked by power, by doing good. The meaning there of doing good is bringing benefit to others. The ministry of Jesus brought benefit to others that transcends time, transcends space, reaches around the world to every generation. His healing ministry confronted darkness and evil, bringing benefit to those who responded in faith. Verse 39, we ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country 
and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Jesus had committed no sin. No deceit was on his lips, and yet they treated him like a criminal. Sin brings a curse, and it has since Genesis 3 and the rebellion of man. Jesus, through the cross, bore that curse, though. He was cursed, killed on that cross for the benefit of all who might believe. He was cursed so that those who had formerly been cursed might walk free of curse, might walk free of condemnation for all those who repent and believe. And at the same time, death was not the end of the story. And for those who are in Christ, death is not the end of the story. Verse 40, God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Again, Peter points to eyewitness accounts. This story is valid and true, Cornelius. Jesus was raised on the third day, and so all who trust in him would one day then experience resurrection from the dead as well. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Jesus beat sin. He beat death and the devil, and in doing so, displayed that he is Lord over all and will be the one who judges the living and the dead. He has that authority, for he is eternal. He's the Alpha the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the judge. So the way of salvation is through the judge. Not around the judge, but through the judge of the living and the dead and asking for his forgiveness. Have you done that? Have you done that? Are, are you living your entire life in submission, joyful, humble submission to Jesus, the King of Kings? Loved ones, the judge joyfully, he joyfully, not reluctantly, he joyfully grants forgiveness of sin when we ask and he is just and able to forgive and wash clean and the forgiveness of sin leads to peace and the judge has commanded his people to preach and tell of his good news to all people cornelius just like you and i was born in need of a savior and Jesus is that Savior, the one who was promised from the Old Testament prophets and has come in the flesh, lived, died, rose again, one day will, will return as the judge. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? If not, I pray that you would submit your life to him. You would humbly ask him to be your Lord and Savior and begin to follow him and trust in him and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit today. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. He hasn't even landed the plane yet. He hasn't even done a benediction. He hasn't, oh, repeat after me. Pray this prayer. Nope. The Holy Spirit has come down because the household of Cornelius has internally repented and believed in Jesus. They've responded to good news, not with resistance, but with reception. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Conversion to Christ happens when you place your faith in Him. And conversion leads to the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in 
his people. It's a mini Pentecost here in Cornelius' home. The Spirit being poured out and resulting in different tongues and languages. That was an evidence in Acts 2. And here it is in Acts 10. An outward sign that the Spirit was alive and active. It's affirming to these Gentiles that are empowered by the same Spirit as the Jews who are coming to faith in Christ or who had come to faith in Christ in Acts 2. The Gentiles were not empowered with a less than spirit, not a partial spirit, but the spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, you are not lacking. You are not deficient. You are not without. You're walking in the same spirit that led and filled the apostles and filled the household of Cornelius in Acts 10, and the spirit is not growing weary. The Spirit does not need to be charged overnight. And the Spirit will be with you until the day of redemption. The Jews who had traveled with Peter and were witnessing this would have remembered Acts 2. And this would be a reminder to them that the same God who was at work there in saving the Jews is now at work in saving the Gentiles. And these new Gentile believers are to be fully accepted into the community of faith for the same Heavenly Father has adopted them. The same Son has saved them, and now the same Spirit dwells in them. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. These Gentiles were baptized into the name of Jesus, and again, the Jews there would have thought, well, that was the same baptism I experienced back at Pentecost in Acts 2. And so the Gentiles are not impure, but they've been made clean by the blood of Christ, just as I have. I love the note there at the end of verse 48 that Luke includes. Then they ask him to stay for a few days. These are people that Peter would not have associated with before, who he would not have had a meal with, let alone stayed overnight with in the same home. The result of the people receiving the gospel leads those same people to a different way of life. The result of, uh, of the gospel brings transformation in lives. It leads them to a community with one another that is no longer tied to ethnic heritage or personal affinity or opinions or preferences, but it's anchored to the unchanging identity in Christ for it's His blood upon the doorpost. News of what transpired here in the household of Cornelius, it travels quickly. News has never ceased to travel quickly. Chapter 11, the, the apostles and the brothers and the sisters who were, th who were throughout Judea heard the, that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. See the partiality? And the bias and the favoritism in the hearts of those in the Jerusalem church gets revealed. Peter, you stayed with them? You ate with them? Around a table full of unclean food? This is what bothers them greatly. This is what they're stuck on. and It reveals just how significant the divide was at the time between Jew and Gentile. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? This is far more statement than it is question 
The Christians in Jerusalem who have, who've come from a Jewish background are thinking, wait, what? Gentiles? See, there was wisdom in Peter bringing eyewitnesses with him to the town of Caesarea, knowing this would be the reaction. Eyewitnesses who can back up what Peter will tell them. And Peter will recount the story, and Luke will too, in the writing of Acts because of the significance of this moment, how important it was. It's the same story that we covered last week in last week's message, but Peter's giving a speech here intended to persuade or convince the group that is suspect of this entire situation. So Peter began to explain to them step by step, here's what the Lord has doing, here's what the Lord is doing, and Luke writes it verbatim because of how significant this is in the storyline. I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, what God has made clean you must not call impure. Now this happened three times, and everything was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning. Acts 2. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that He also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? Peter's reminding himself and the listeners, remember when John the Baptist came preparing the way for the coming Messiah Jesus back in Luke 3 and how he said that when, when the Messiah comes, He will baptize with the Holy Spirit Remember when, when Jesus said in Acts 1-5, wait in Jerusalem, the promised Holy Spirit will come. In Acts 2, the Spirit did come, and we saw evidences of that. Brothers, Jerusalem brothers and sisters, the Spirit has now been poured out on Gentiles who are repenting and believing. Same Spirit, same evidences. How could I, Peter, possibly hinder God by choosing to be partial or biased? When our God, who is not partial or biased, was at work, how could I, a created person, stand in the way of what our Creator, God, wants to do? When they heard this, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, So then, God has given repentance, resulting in life, even to the Gentiles. I love this sequence. You went with uncircumcised men and you ate with them? They heard and they were silent. They glorified God. Because God has given repentance resulting in life. 
eternal, abundant life, even to those who they thought God would not reach and because the God of impartiality is on a worldwide mission. In Genesis 11, we read the account of the Tower of Babel. Man had come together in one place to build a tower that declared their greatness rather than God's greatness. And so as a result, God scattered the people, created new languages. But even as people were scattered, they took with them their innate pride in self. And then in Genesis 12, the Lord comes to Abram and gives him a promise that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through him, that that where sin had separated, the Lord would bring back together, but not so they would be united in their pride or their ethnic heritage, but rather united in their love for, their devotion to Jesus, whose name is above all other names. So this new people that the Lord was redeeming and gathering in and bringing from the north and the south and the east and the west would pursue humility and not pride. They would pursue unity with one another, not division, and they would live as witnesses to those yet to be reached with the gospel. And the promised Messiah comes in the birth of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the Messiah who would bring blessing and benefit to all peoples. And in Acts 2, we're seeing the Lord through the Spirit, on mission to the nations. We see it again here in Acts 10. The good news of Jesus is for all people. The gospel knows no ethnic or geographic boundaries. Here in Acts 10, we also see a Jewish fisherman give the good news to a Roman centurion, a man of prominence and wealth. So the gospel stretches beyond social classes as well. And what the Lord was doing in Acts 10 is what He's doing today. All around this globe, including here in this place, the Lord bringing people from various backgrounds and experiences in this place for one reason. For one reason. The worship of the King of Kings of the eternal kingdom. He's bringing people from various ethnic backgrounds. He's bringing various generations, young and old and those of us in the middle. He's bringing people that grew up around here and those who did not. Those who attended a church growing up and those who did not. Those who grew up Protestant and those who grew up Catholic. Those who grew up in denominations such as Baptist and Assemblies of God, Methodist, Lutheran, Apostolic Christian, Mennonite, Presbyterian, or this is the first church you've engaged in. Praise God, we love that you're here. That's not by accident. Some of you grew up poor, grew up wealthy, grew up somewhere in the middle. Some of you grew up in the city or in the burbs or in small towns where they had one flashing yellow light or one four-way stop or it was a big deal when you got one stoplight or two. (laughs) Those of us who are from Eureka know that's a big deal. I remember the first, I remember the second. That might be where we stopped. Stable childhoods, dysfunctional childhoods, like you put the fun in dysfunction. You moved every year, you never moved. College graduates, no college, blue collar, white collar, substance abuse in your story, no substance abuse in your story. The proud, legalistic, older brother mentality, self-righteous, off the charts, that's your background. Or the proud, rebellious, younger brother, self-righteousness, off the charts. Both younger and older are welcome from Luke 15. Singles, married, widows, divorced, remarried. Those who have kids, those without kids, those who are 
adopting, those who have adopted, those who are fostering, those who are praying their child will get a job and move out of the house, right? Don't laugh too much. Careful. They might be around you. But that is our prayer. Send you out. It's biblical. Christianity disregards racial, cultural, societal boundaries. It removes and tears them down. So it's no longer about outward appearances or backgrounds or affinities or classes that reflect the worldly culture. It's much grander and deeper and more eternal than those will ever be. The storyline in the Old Testament is that Israel was called to be a light to the nations. And in their failure, it was pointing forward to Jesus who would come as the true, perfect light of the world. He was and is the light that shines in the darkness of which the darkness cannot overcome it. And we, His church then, are to be a city on a hill, a beacon shining brightly into the darkness. That church is what the Lord was building in Acts It's what he's building to this day, all around this world, including in this place. Jesus prays in John 17 that his church would be united just as the Father and Son are one, that our unity and love for one another would then be this testimony or witness to the gospel to the world around us. Our identity is not in where we've been. Our identity is not in who we were born to, but in who, rather, who we've been born again into. Every time we take communion, we are reminding ourselves that we are one body, united in our shared faith in a sacrificial and selfless love demonstrated through the cross because His grace displayed through the cross, we have fellowship with one another. The Lord has made what was unclean clean. Through faith in the blood of Christ, we've been washed white as snow. And in the end, after this evangelistic mission of the church is over, In eternity, we're told in Revelation that every nation, tribe, and tongue will be together, united in praise. This beautiful mosaic from all the four corners of the earth represented around the throne, saved and united in the worship of the one who sits on the throne. And until then, we the church, the living active body of Christ, has been given a a mission by the one who is on the throne today. He's not absent. He's sovereign. He's ruling, reigning, and we can rest in that, and we can also labor in that. The same mission that was lived out in Acts, Peter would later write these words as recorded in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And out of this new united identity in Christ, we proclaim the good news of Jesus. The praises of the light of the world who has come and pierced our darkness. Called us out of a life of sin and into a life that walks in his light and pursues his holiness because that's who we are in Christ. And we proclaim so that others might experience the same forgiveness. God shows mercy to those who humble themselves before him. That has never changed. God shows mercy to those who humble themselves before him. The king of kings of the kingdom has invited you and me in. How great is our God? We don't get to the door in humble repentance and he says, 
No, go back to work. He welcomes in Luke 15 with joy, with thanksgiving, because our God is not a God of partiality, prejudice, or favoritism. And may God's people be a reflection of who our God is. Jesus, we pray you are Lord of all. May your good news go to all. May you increase those those who are trusting in you and in doing so receive peace and eternal life and forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are not a God of partiality or favoritism. As saved people, we are grateful. Thank you for the exhortation from James 2.1 that we as your people would not show favoritism as we hold on to our faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We want nothing of our flesh to hinder people coming to trust in you, Jesus. Give us a growing love for you and for one another and those yet to be reached. Help us as your people to proclaim the praises of you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Help us to proclaim through our words and our way of life that your gospel is for all. If it has the power to save us, it has the power to save anyone. We are devoted to you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness from Genesis to Acts and to our present day lives. You are good and your love endures forever. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Galatians 3, last couple of verses of chapter 3. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Therefore, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. What a gift. We can walk and rest in that reality this week.